morning. It's good to see you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 1. Uh, it's good to see so many of you this morning. I know that this is kind of the the last Sunday before summer and school gets out. and uh, We still will have church. Uh, I know some of you will be living at the beach or other exotic locations, but if, you, if you're stuck in Eichert all summer, you can come to church with us. We'll be here and be glad to have you. We're going to continue on, so we've got a busy summer planned here at the church. A lot of things going on, and I hope you're going to be a part of them. Jonah chapter 1. You know, we started looking at Jonah last week, and we saw, as we looked in the first three verses of chapter 1, the strange thing that happens to Jonah when God comes to him and calls him to do something. We're told in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and Jonah is told to go and to preach in this city called Nineveh. And the city of Nineveh was a very evil place, and God wanted to do something there. And Jonah's told to go and preach a message of judgment to Nineveh that God is going to act swiftly against them because they have become a very evil place. And instead of accepting this call, Jonah turns and he runs the other direction. As a matter of fact, he intends to go to the point that is furthest away from where God sent him. And so he goes down to a village there uh, near the ocean. He gets on a boat. And we're told in verse 3 of chapter 1 twice that his goal is to get away from the presence of the Lord. Beginning of verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then again at the end, he gets on board the boat, headed to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we're going to begin, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4 this morning, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, a little more than originally had planned, but that's what we're going to do, so it'll be all right. Uh, if you'll stand with me in reverence to God's Word this morning, beginning in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You may be seated. Jonah's goal as he left the place where God had called him, where God spoke to him, he goes down to the ocean, and he gets on a ship. His goal, number one, is to get away from the presence of the Lord. He states it twice, and as a matter of fact, we find out as we're reading through the rest of chapter one, not only do we read it twice, but that's what he had told the other guys on the ship. You know, one guy's going to seek his fortune, one guy's going to make some money, for his family, and Jonah gets to you, why are you here? Why well, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That's his reason. But it's interesting that as we read the rest of this chapter, the overarching theme that I find here is that while Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, the Lord is pursuing Jonah. And he pursues him nonstop throughout the rest of this book. In every instance, everything that is happening is God's pursuit of Jonah. And God does this in many different ways. He does this on this ship. He does this in the belly of the whale. He'll do this later on when he finally makes it to Nineveh to preach. He pursues Jonah with this small plant that grows up and gives Jonah shade when he is hot. God pursues Jonah. I want us to look this morning at seven things that these verses tell us about how God pursues Jonah. Us. And I want to start off by telling you this morning that it is exceedingly good news that God pursues you. Because if you're like me, there are a lot of times in life when I am not pursuing God. Some of you are here this morning and you're at church and you just sang the songs and you're here to listen to a message, but you're not 
pursuing God. But isn't it good news for us that regardless of whether or not we are pursuing God, God is in pursuit of us. Look beginning in verse 4. God pursues Jonah forcefully. Jonah wants to get away from God. He wants to get as far away as he can. And so the plan becomes, I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to sail to the furthest point on the earth away from Nineveh. And so as he's out on this ship, and we don't know exactly how far he had gotten, but a storm comes up upon this ship. And it must have been a bad storm because we see how the crew members react. Remember, these these guys most likely were professionals. They're running this ship. They know what they're doing. This is not their first time out. They, They know what's going on, and yet we see that they are scared. As a matter of fact, they're afraid that the ship is going to break up. They begin to hurl, in verse 5, the cargo off the side of the ship so that they can lighten it up. This means by doing this that they're going to lose any chance of making money like they would have if they got their cargo to its destination. They're so afraid that they begin to call out to whatever gods it is that they worship. They're so afraid later on we see that they're willing to cast lots. They're willing to do some gambling, play a game of chance to see whose fault this is. Willing to take that person and throw them into the sea. That's how bad this storm has gotten for these experienced sailors. God forcefully pursues Jonah as he sends this powerful storm on this boat out in the middle of the ocean. There's no Coast Guard to call. There's no one else who's going to come help. There's no radio communication. There's no last known location. If the ship sinks, they all die. And that's how forcefully God is pursuing Jonah. See, I think this morning you and I should be very glad that God pursues us sometimes very forcefully. Because some of us are really hard-headed. Some of us run, and we run a lot. Many times we try to run as far away from God as we can. Some of you are here this morning and you are in the current act of running away from God. Your goal is to get as far away from His things as possible. You may show up at church to to keep up the appearances. I know that that happens because I used to do it myself. But the fact of the matter is, in your heart, you're fleeing God. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes... He has to get in our face, grab us around the neck, and give us a good shaking until we realize that he's pursuing us. God is ready to destroy this boat. He's prepared and does cost them all of their cargo. 
He threatens their their moral beliefs as they are afraid at the end of this chapter to throw someone into the ocean. They, they do not want to have an innocent man's blood on their hands. Now, if he's guilty, they'll throw him in the water. They're not worried about that. But if he's innocent, they don't want to, they don't want to have done that. God's willing to go to that length so that we will understand who he is and what he wants for us. Sometimes God uses force to get our attention. He, he uses things that are terrifying. He uses things that are hard to deal with. He uses difficult circumstances for us to understand that he is there and he is after us. Some of you, if you took time and began to reflect back on your life at things that had went on, you would see that though they were difficult Though they were terrifying and hard, many times they were things that drew you closer to God. That's not an accident. That's not something that in your mind just one day you you woke up and you're like, man, all this hard stuff really is pointing me toward God. It's God working in a mighty way to draw you unto himself, to lead and guide your life. To put you in the place that he wants you to go. God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. And if that boat lands in Tarshish as far away as possible, that's not going to happen. And so that boat, something's going to happen to that boat. Because God's going to have happen what he desires. Second thing. He pursues us forcefully. He also pursues us even when we are unaware Look beginning in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But, apparently, running away from God is a tiring thing, because, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper, arise? Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. The story is very similar to one we see in the New Testament where a storm is raging and Jesus himself is in the bottom of the boat. But Jonah is no Jesus. Not exactly sure why Jonah is asleep and not scared half to death because he is a prophet and not an experienced sailor. But for some reason, he's in the bottom of the boat and he's fast asleep. And the storm is raging all around. The ship must have been creaking. The noise must have been terrible because the ship was about to break up and be destroyed. And the captain comes into the bottom of the ship and Jonah is fast asleep. He has no idea the fear that is going on around him. The fact that the people on top of the ship are throwing everything overboard so that they won't die. They're crying out to whatever God it is that they worship. And Jonah's asleep. Comfortable in the bottom of the boat, not worried about anything. He has no idea that the God who he is running from has pursued him out into the middle of the ocean, has found easily his small, insignificant boat, and is now tearing it apart. 
Friends, oftentimes when God is pursuing us, we are unaware of what is going on. We don't even see it. We, we don't even realize as he begins to pursue us what is going on. We don't, we don't understand. We may have this event that happens. We, we may lose this loved one. We may see this thing happen or have this experience. And all the while we are completely unaware of what God is doing. And yet he stands back outside of time, outside of the restrictions that we have on, on knowing what is coming and what has happened and what will be. And God looks at us and he is crafting everything that is happening so that perfectly we can know and understand later that he's been pursuing us. See, I think if Jonah had, had been awake and he had been standing on the outside of the boat, and he'd been looking at what's going on. And here you can see the storm, right? If you're on the ocean, you can see things like that coming forever. And he, he might have seen that, that storm coming and, and coming toward the boat and, and told them, hey, we need to row in a different direction. We need to go back toward the shore. We need to, to make a, a turn here or there because, because here comes this storm, and I'm concerned about it. But instead, Jonah's just, he's asleep. He's not concerned. And God all the while is working in the background. He's sending that storm. He's scaring those sailors. He's got them to the breaking point. And now everyone around Jonah is prepared for what God is going to do. Everyone has had their world rocked and they are, are prepared for what God is about to do in Jonah's life. And the last one to know it is Jonah. Friends, I don't know how many times, even since I've been here, in talking with you, you see what God is doing in someone else's life long before they do. You see God working this way, and someone come to me and say, hey, do you, do you see how God is working in, in this way or, or that way, and, and the person God's working on is unaware of it. And I think it's because God orchestrates so much and prepares so much before we even become aware of what is going on. Because God is pursuing us. And sometimes if we knew it ahead of time, we would run faster and harder to get away. So God doesn't even let us know. He kind of sneaks up on us. And then all of a sudden, we're in the bottom of the boat asleep, and someone grabs where we're at, and they shake us, and they wake us up, and they ask us what's wrong with us. Don't you see that everything around you is happening? Do you not see everything that's going on? And Jonah couldn't even put the pieces together until that moment. God pursues us even when we're unaware. And we should be thankful for that. Because at some point, all of his pursuits come together at a point of culmination. It's been years, even Decades, even centuries in the making. Have you ever thought about that? I like to think about things that are weird and you can't really comprehend completely. You know, how big is space? I don't know. They throw out numbers, but can you really even comprehend? That's too big, right? So think about this. There, three, four, five hundred years ago, 
out in the country somewhere, maybe speaking a different language than you speak, there was a boy and a girl, probably teenagers, that met, fell in love, and got married, and that's why you're here today. Some of you are related, so maybe that's why a lot of you are here today. You ever thought about that? Think about all the things that had to happen for you to be here today. I'm going to the, the Southern Baptist Convention tomorrow, and we're going to, to it's in Baltimore. My dad wanted to ride along, and on the way up, he wanted to stop in, in D.C., which I've never been to, so I'm glad to do that. But he, the one thing he wants to see, he doesn't care about any of the rest of the stuff. He wants to see the Vietnam Memorial. And it's a wall. If you've ever seen it, it's, it's, it's a very beautiful memorial. It's a wall with, with over 50,000 names on it of the soldiers that were killed in Vietnam. And when I hear my dad talk about stories from Vietnam, I realize it had to be God that I'm here. Because all those guys went over there and never came back. Fifty-some thousand of them went over there and never made it back. But my dad did. And that's why I'm here. Think about... Throughout all of human history, what God had to do for you to be here today. And yet he did all of that and you were never aware of any of it. Because you didn't exist then. But even the people he was working in, their lot. Your great, 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 great grandparent. Had no concept that what they were doing then. Teenagers falling in love on a farm somewhere out in the country somewhere would lead you to be here today. But God did. And in all of that, he was pursuing you. And I believe wholeheartedly that our God is big enough to arrange a marriage 500 years ago so that today you could be in church and hear the gospel and know him. He's way bigger than that. Number three. He pursues us forcefully. He pursues us even when we're unaware. Verse 7, he pursues us by what we might call luck. I don't believe in luck. You can't preach a sermon about the God who pursues and believes in luck. It doesn't go together very well. Verse 7 says, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. We see in the Bible times when the casting of lots is, is something done under divine direction. We, we see that God works in that. And we need to understand that there is no chance or luck when it comes with God. There are no accidents in his work. We don't get a, a lucky break at some point in life. Or happen to be in the, the right place at the right time. It's just not how it works. Because God is crafting everything. He knows everything. He is moving everything along. He crafts history according to his purpose. And so when we look at things and we think, man, that was, that was lucky. He, he got a, a lucky break. He, he just happened to be there when, when everything went well and he got to be a, a part of it. It's not how it works. 
Because if it worked like that, then there would be some time when God would be sitting in heaven and, and something would happen to us and, and he'd go, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, God's never been surprised about anything. God doesn't sit up in heaven and have to recalculate what he's going to do, recalculate the history of the world because some lucky break happens in our life. We need to see that as God's hand working. God's hand leading and guiding us. God's hand working in our life and and by doing so, bringing us to the point that he wants us to be. It ought to make you in the end feel a little bit better about yourself. Because some people sit around all the time thinking that they're unlucky. That they never have anything good happen to them. You know, some of you, uh, you just have to deal with that in life and it seems to befall you quite often. We see it in, in superficial things like, you know, some of you pull for sports teams that are just chronically rotten. It is your choice, by the way. It's not like you have to keep rooting for them. There are others out there. But then there's things that aren't superficial at all. You look at the breaks that your life have. You look at, at the things that have happened. You know, maybe you have been, maybe you've had a rough time, been unfortunate in your relationships. And some people just see that as unlucky. Maybe your finances have always been a problem. Maybe for most of us, our finances have always been a problem. We contribute it to luck, but at the same time, maybe it's just God keeping us humble. Some of us would not do well being professional preachers on TV with lots of money. Since I'm the only, well, there's two of us in here that preach, and uh, I don't think either one of us would do well with that. I know I wouldn't. It wouldn't be a good lot for me. Maybe God just knows that. And he uses that to make sure that we're exactly where we need to be. God knows what you need. He knows when you need it. He knows how you need it. It has nothing to do with luck, but everything to do with God pursuing you and God working and leading. Fourth thing, verse 8. He pursues us through the voice of other people. Verse 8 and 9, we see, they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? The ship is full of people who do not know God. We don't get any indication that these sailors have a relationship with God. They worship these false gods, and as soon as things turn bad, they begin to pursue them. But they do not have a relationship with the one true God. And so they begin to question Jonah. What are you doing here? What's going on? The the lots that we cast fell on you. So somebody is pointing to us that this is your problem. You have done this, and we want to know what's going on. And so they begin to question Jonah, and their questions are penetrating to his heart. They're penetrating because his answers show his hypocrisy. Look, he says in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, let me get this right, Jonah. 
You're a Hebrew, that's true. That's an ethnic thing, can't do much about that. You know. But he says, he says, I fear God, who made the sea and the dry land. Now think about that for a minute. I fear God. It's a, it's a holy respect. It's not just I'm afraid of Him, but it's a reverent respect. I have this reverent respect for God, which is not true, at least at this point, who made the sea and the dry land. What's Jonah's number one goal? He wants to get away from the presence of the Lord. How does he do it? He gets out on the ocean. Who does he just say made the ocean? God. Is there a problem there? How are you going to get away from the one who made the ocean by going out on the ocean? It shows for you and I how foolish it is when we try to get away from God. And it shows how foolish we become in our thinking when we try to do things contrary to what God has for us. We do things like go and get on a ship on the very ocean that we say that God created. The very God that we say we fear. It doesn't work out very well. But it took these words from a godless group of men on this ship for him to realize that. See, God uses a lot of voices in our life to show us that he is in pursuit of us. I had a a dear friend of mine who I consider to be uh, one of my fathers spiritually who really guided me, especially when I was a teenager. If you ever had someone like that, you know that when they hold you accountable, when they say things to you about how you're living, those words are often very penetrating. And he said a lot of things to me, but one of the things I remember, and he would say this halfway joking part of the time, but the truth of the matter is he believed it and wanted me to begin thinking that way. I would come up to him sometimes when I was needing to do something, and I would say, is it possible that I do this, that, or the other? When we were working at camp together, is it possible that we would take the kids on the canoes this afternoon, whatever it was? And without fail, he would look at me and he'd say, Michael, this guy's about this tall too, so he's looking down at me saying this. Michael, all things are possible, but not all things are likely. Now that doesn't sound to be that big a deal, right? But when you start to, when he says it about taking some kids out on a canoe, it's one thing. But when you start talking about the things of God, you start having a deep discussion about who God is, and he takes that and pulls it out on you. It's, it's a big deal. Because it, for me, would get me thinking about, it would get me thinking about what God was wanting me to do and what God was leading me to do. And because the Bible tells us that with him, all things are possible. So is it possible that there's some big things God was wanting me to do? And God would use his voice to speak into my life, and it would have that effect. And I think a lot of times, maybe even most of the time, God uses other people to show us that he is in pursuit of us. 
Because there are many times, again, since I have been your pastor, when I have heard people in this room go to other people in this room and confront them with some things that at most churches we would just sweep under the rug. We just wouldn't even talk about. You guys here like to get up in each other's business. And that's good. Like if you're visiting with us, I'm sorry, but a lot of these people, they like to get in your business. And I don't mean like they're a bunch of gossips who are going to work like, hey, that guy at church, I mean, he's a real loser. But you know what Jesus used to do? He would get up in people's business. Jesus would get up in people's life and he would confront them with things they were doing that weren't pleasing to God. He would get up in people's life and when they were having a hard day, he would show them comfort and love. Jesus got in the life of the people that followed him. And you know what happens when people get up in the lives of other Christians? When they... When they do life together, it shows us that God is continuing to pursue us. Because he's not left us out there by ourselves, where we have no fellowship, where we have no communication, where we have no accountability, but rather he has called us to do life together. And as we do life together, he shows us that he's still pursuing us. Because, man, there and you know this in your life. There's certain people that when they say something to you, you listen. Your ears perk up. You know that it's not just their voice, but God has laid something on their heart and they are sharing it with you. And you better take notice. Because if you have that realization, then you're accountable for that before God. You can't just say, well, that was, that was just the preacher." just the preacher. We don't have to listen to him. He's just the preacher. I don't think it's going to fly one day. It's really not. When you pick up a good book that God has just really impressed upon somebody's heart and it sticks to the scriptures and it leads you into God's presence, you need to listen. When somebody in your Sunday school class or life application group, they say something, you go, man, that, that sounds like they were talking to me. Maybe they were. And they didn't even know it. God uses other people just like he used these godless men. Their voices began to show Jonah the problem with his heart. And it showed him that God was still pursuing. Then look what he says in verse 10. God pursues through the voice of other people. Now look, God pursues Jonah through his own words. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? Why are you running? For, look at the end of verse 10, For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It was his own words that got him in trouble. They begin to put all the pieces together. Wait a second. You're telling us that your God made the sea and he made the dry land and you're running from him and this is why we've got this storm. 
This is why God has sent this storm upon us, because you have not been listening to him, and you have not been listening to your own words. See, I'm sure that the first time that he told them that, they didn't think much about it. If they'd really been afraid, they wouldn't have let him on the boat. You know, you're going through the list. Why are you here? Why are you here? And they get to Jonah. I'm fleeing from the presence of God. It's like, you're not getting on this boat. If that boat had been full of Hebrew people, there's no way they would have ever let him get on. They said, this is not happening. But now they realize the weight of his words. His own words had convicted him in the eyes of these men because now they knew that he was the one who God was pursuing. I think it's many times our own words that show God's pursuit. I think God brings back to our mind the promises that we have made to him and about him. The promises of, or God will remind us about the claims that we have made about him. Think about Peter when Peter tells Jesus, I, even if everybody leaves you, I will be with you always. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to deny you. And what does he do? He goes out first time. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? No. Hey, weren't you with him? No. He's even cursing to get across the point that he doesn't know Jesus. And what happens with the third time? You were with him, right? No, it wasn't me. And the rooster crows. And what does he remember? He remembers what he had said. He remembers what Jesus had said. Because when he said, I'm never going to leave you, Jesus says, you'll deny me. I promise you, you're going to deny me. And that rooster crows. And he remembers his own words. How often do we remember our own words? And they convict us. If you don't remember your words, go ask your children because they remember your words. Mine do it all the time. There's a little boy sitting back there that will remind me when we get done with the service in a few minutes that I told him that if he behaved while he was sitting back there, he would get ice cream at lunchtime. Do you think he's going to forget those words? No. There's no chance. He'll forget his name before he forgets that I said, we'll go get ice cream. It's not going to happen. God uses our own words and the things that we have said in the past to convict us. Because how many times have you been standing there saying something or or doing something or interacting with other people and you realized what a hypocrite you were? Because it wasn't too long ago that you had said that whatever you're doing now is wrong or that people shouldn't do it or people shouldn't talk that way. You know, how often do you get mad when somebody gossips about you And so you gossip about them. But you were mad when they did it to you. So angry. God uses our own words to convict us. But when he does, he shows us that we are still being pursued. Because if he left us out there to do it on our own, if he let us just do whatever or say whatever, then where was he at? But when he brings those words back to our mind, it It shows us that he's still there pursuing us. Sixth, I've got two more and we'll be done. Verse 11. 
They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? What should we do? He says, you got to throw me in the water. Personally, if I was on the boat at that point, I don't swim real well. Okay. Sorry, dude. It's on you. You did it. I'm throwing you in. But they don't do that. This is a, this is a story about people not listening very well. Jonah says, you got to throw me overboard. What did they do? Did they throw him overboard? Not immediately. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. In the Hebrew, it says that they dug in. They dug in their oars so that they could get back to shore. God pursues us in spite of opposition. It could be our own opposition. It could be the opposition of others. Here we see that the men decide they're going to try to row back. But the great news is that God pursues even in spite of their opposition. You know, if they would have been successful, if they would have been able, you know, we can just row hard. We're not that far from shore. We'll row hard. We'll get off. Wait till the storm passes. That wouldn't have done anything for Jonah. That would have helped him one bit for them to have done that. So God says, no, that's not what's going to happen. This storm is going to be bad enough that this is going to end right here now. And so even though they were opposed to what God was doing, they were opposed to this storm, God pursues them anyways. Fleeing from God does not work. But God pursues us in spite of our opposition, even when we're fighting it. If you don't believe this is true, go find someone. Find someone in this room, find someone you know that used to be deeply held by sin. Whatever sin it was, it had consumed their life and it was to the point of defining them and who they were. Go find them and ask them about their opposition to God before he saved them. You'll find that they weren't out looking for God. Matter of fact, they were looking for the next sin that they could commit. They were opposing God at every turn, and they opposed every voice that he sent. They opposed their own voice. They opposed his voice. They were in complete opposition to God. Whatever sin it was had consumed them to the point where they were numb and cold to the things of God. And any attempt to break through that, they would put up a fight. And so it's only because God continued to pursue them even in their opposition that they've come to know Him. See, if God did not pursue us even when we were opposed to Him, none of us would be saved. None of us would have any hope. Because you don't have to find the person who is the hardened sinner who has lived in it for their entire life If God did not pursue you when you opposed Him, you would have no hope because there are points in every day, sometimes in every hour, when we oppose God. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're seemingly insignificant. But what if in that moment, that one little moment, God was not pursuing you? 
what if next Sunday? It's Father's Day, right? A lot of you are fathers. I got a bunch of kids. I get paid to come here, unlike you. But let's just say next Sunday, I woke up and I, I didn't feel well. I didn't really feel that bad, but you know, it's Father's Day. Everybody deserves a break. I'm going to lay out of church. I could tell you that I didn't feel well. You would probably have sympathy on me. I could get someone to fill in, and, but I'm not really sick. What if in that moment when I made that decision, you know what, I'm, I'm going to lay out of church today. What if in that moment God decided, you know what, I'm not going to pursue him any longer? That'd be it, right? Is that one little voice in my head that said, well, you know, it's okay. Now, y'all fire me in a few weeks, and that's all right. I'd probably go find another job somewhere. What about you? You just lay out next Sunday, and God doesn't pursue you. God never says anything to you about it. He never brings anybody into your life to say something about your absence from the church. He never brings anyone in to convict you. You never open the Bible again. He never speaks into your heart. And you never hear another word about it. That'd be it, right? You'd be done for. You wouldn't have any hope because... God pursues his people. He pursues them even in spite of their opposition. He he pursues them even in spite of their sins. So I, I guess it would just tell us that you didn't know God and you would have no hope. That's scary to me. To think that that could just happen in one moment. On Father's Day when you just didn't feel great. God pursues us in spite of all the opposition that we continually throw at him. Because sin still lives in our heart, and he is transforming our heart if we are in Christ. He is molding our heart to to look more like his. He is molding our mind to, to look more like his. But sin still lives there. And if God did not pursue us, we would slowly, or maybe quickly, fall back into sin. It would take hold of our heart completely. But the great news for us is that God pursues us constantly. And he doesn't let go of us. And therefore we have hope. Finally, the seventh thing we see here about God pursuing us is that he pursues us for the benefit of others and ourselves. Verses 14 through 17. Therefore they called out to the Lord, verse 14. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I told you last week that this is not a kid's story. But probably the best illustration of this that I have seen was in a kid's story. A number of years ago, a movie came out called Jonah by 
the VeggieTales. If you don't know what the VeggieTales are, it's probably because you don't have kids, um, although I think they're cool too, but still, that's neither here nor there. But it's basically vegetables that tell biblical stories. Um, and so they made a movie. They made this movie, movie Jonah. And when they take Jonah in the movie and they throw him overboard, and you see him, he's flying overboard. As soon as he hits the water, blue skies. The sea is perfectly calm. Not a cloud. I mean, no clouds, nothing. No waves. Perfectly calm. I don't know if that's exactly how it happened. But I like to think that it's exactly how it happened. Because it makes the most sense knowing the character of God that immediately when they obey him, it's back the way it's supposed to be. God had no complaint against these men on the ship. They had, they had done nothing to anger him and what was going on here. And as soon as they, listen, it's, God fixes it. And Jonah's just there, out in the ocean, floating along. Do you know that God pursues you oftentimes for the benefit of other people? Think about it. This whole story with Jonah is not for Jonah's benefit. I mean, he, he fears that he's going to die when he gets to Nineveh. They're going to kill him in some very horrific way. He is not looking forward to that at all. Why has God called him? It is for the benefit of the people of Nineveh. And oftentimes what God does when he pursues us and calls us to do something, it's not for our own benefit. Unfortunately, we live in a society where we only look out for us. We want to see what's going to be best for us. We want to consider all the options for us before we do something. We want to know that it's in our best interest to do whatever it is that God has called us to do before we do it. Which is silly. It's worse than that, but the kid last week told me I couldn't say dumb. And there's only so many words you can fill in there. It's ridiculous. Better word, maybe. It's ridiculous for us to think that God is calling us to do something. That God is saving us and pursuing us primarily for our benefit. That is a completely ridiculous notion. Think about the great missionaries that have lived in the course of history. They have went to places where they were going to be poor, where they were going to be abused, where they were going to be sick, and many of them died in obscurity, never seeing their life's work complete. It doesn't sound to me like any of that was personally for their benefit. It wasn't at all. Because God is not primarily concerned with your benefit. Now, you can turn on the television this morning and hear that from a number of places. But they're wrong. We see that even here. Because even in Jonah's disobedience, even in his pursuit to get away from God, what happens? Look at what these men do when they throw Jonah overboard. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 
Even in Jonah's sin of rebellion and running away from God, God saves some guys on a boat. Now, Jonah gets thrown in the ocean. He got what he deserved. And it gets worse from here, trust me. It gets a lot worse before it gets better. But since Jonah decides he's going to rebel against God, he's going to run away, he's going to get out of God's presence, God saves some guys on the boat. They would have never heard about God otherwise that that we are aware of. They would have had no reason to fear the Lord and make sacrifices to God and make vows toward God. Now the unfortunate thing is they live in a society where people worshipped a bunch of different gods. So we don't know their level of commitment. They sell off and do their thing and we don't hear from them again. But God pursues Jonah for the benefit of those men on the boat. He pursues Jonah for the benefit of the people of Nineveh. And see, God's pursuit is not for us alone, but for those around us. You know, if God pursues you about something simple, God pursues you about teaching Sunday school class. It's not for your benefit. It's for the people that hear. When God pursues a man to preach, he he doesn't do so for the benefit of that person. I mean, I know it's a joke, but I don't just work this morning. I do get to go to exotic locations like Baltimore. But it's a lofty thing. The Bible tells us that it's an important thing if, if he calls someone out to preach because it's, it's an important thing. But he doesn't do that for the benefit of the one he calls. God calls us and pursues us so that we can benefit other people. And so even in Jonah's disobedience, God pursues him to save others. We have to go all the way back and realize that Jonah's task was to go to Nineveh so that these people would not perish. And so God pursues him. Which should remind us that when we run away from God, we're also damaging other people. When you run away from God, you're Damaging the impact that he wants to have through you on your family. When you run away from God, you are impacting, negatively impacting what God wants to do in the church. What he wants to do in your small groups. What he wants to do at the place that you work. What he wants to do at the school that you go to. God is going to use you to impact other people. And when we run from him and flee from what he has, we have a negative impact on that. But if you feel like God's pursuing you, you're scared to death of it. I'm not just talking about pursuing you to be saved. I'm talking about pursuing you to do something. And you're running. You need to realize this morning that what he's calling you to do, what he's pursuing you for, probably has little to do with you or the benefits for you. But he's probably wanting to do something at the place you work or in your family, in our church, in this community. 
And he's wanting you to do it. And that might scare you to death. Scared Jonah. But it didn't work out real well for Jonah running, did it? Because you can't get far enough away from God. You can't sin enough. You can't disobey enough. You can't run far enough to get away from the God who made the sea and the dry land. It just doesn't work. So I want to leave you with this. Wouldn't it be good, since we have a God who pursues, a God who never stops, his singular focus is his people. Since we have a God who pursues, should we not desire to be found as people who don't need to be pursued. See, this, this story would be really boring if God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. And Jonah said, okay. And he went. Wouldn't have any fish. I mean, it'd be like most of the other minor prophets that you've never even read through. You know, we all know Jonah's story because he gets eaten by a fish, but what if he'd just listened? He just said, okay. I'm going to go, God. Our desire this morning, because God pursues us in so many ways, in every circumstance that we face, in every place that we go, God is pursuing us. Us, our goal should be to be people who do not need to be pursued. Who cling close to the Father. Who listen to what God has said and we just do it. God, you want me to go here? I'm going. God, you want me to say this? That's what I'm going to say. God, this is how you want me to live. That's how I'm going to live. And I'm not going to, you're not going to need to pursue me, God. You can use those efforts on somebody else because I'm going to be right where you want me to be. That should be our heart's desire in everything that we do. Listen, that is going to be my goal as your pastor. I'm going to be right here as long as you'll have me and this is where God wants me to be. And one day if he says go, I'll get up here, I'll cry a little bit, and I'll say, listen, I'm going on. And you can cry some and you can be mad or angry or whatever, but i got to answer to him one day. Same needs to be true for you. Because even though some of you are, all of you are sitting right now, some of you are running as fast as you can. He's going to pursue you. But why not this morning just turn around and embrace the one who's running after you and go where he wants you to go? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we we have the great privilege of being pursued by the great God of the universe who loves us and who has sent his son to die on our behalf. 
But God, you pursued us into salvation. You pursued us to yourself and you saved us as a part of your family. God, help our hearts desire to be a people who do not have to be pursued. God, a people people who are desperate for you, people who cling to you, who stay close to you, who live in your word, who live in fellowship with one another and encouragement with one another. God, this morning I know there are people here in whatever condition they're in spiritually, they're running. God, I just ask that your word penetrates their heart. God, you you encourage them. You guide their hearts. And God, you help them to see that they have no need to run. But God, they can rest in you. God, whatever it is this morning, I pray that you challenge them That you, though a God who pursues God, you desire obedience. You desire us to listen. And God, I pray that would be true and real in the heart and life of the people gathered here this morning. And God, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. As the music is played this morning, I invite you to respond. In whatever way God is speaking to you. But I want to tell you this, bigger and better than responding by coming here and praying with me or at this altar is the fact that God calls us to respond by ceasing our running and by holding close to Him. I want to encourage you to do that as our music's played this morning.